Good hand one from Nick Cave. I'm just leaning over. I can't remember now. I've lost it. You're with Julian on the brown note anyway. And uh, we're going through films as well. So I'll do my number 10 film as I'm uh, looking through my lists. Uh, so I do, I'll probably do a, a group of five and then concentrate on the absolute worst of the year as well. So my number 10 film is Margin Call, which has just come out here, I think. It's got a whopping budget of $3.5 How they managed to do that, given the cast, can, uh, has Kevin Spacey, Jeremy Irons, uh, Simon Baker, Demi Moore, uh, and virtually everyone in it is recognisable. And it focuses on the last 48 hours of an investment bank as the global financial crisis hits and they work out that these uh, mathematical plans they've put in place to ensure that they can do all this margin trading is infallible, is in fact completely useless and, um, and they're going to wipe out the entire company overnight. It's a brilliant film, it's really classily done, reminding me a little bit of the uh, social network as well, just the modernity of it, it just felt really contemporary the performances are excellent kevin spacey's superb in it demi moore's very good in it as well uh it's well shot obviously with a three and a half million dollar budget it's pretty much all takes place in the office but you wouldn't notice how the low amount of money spent on it at all it's a great film only just out now um a lot of really good films are coming out right now and none of them are on my list i noticed uh tinker taylor soldier spies uh, in a lot of people's top ten of the year, and I haven't even seen that, along with uh, quite a few of the other films that are coming out right now. But that's my number ten film of the year, Margin Call, directed by J.C. Shandor, and he won a lot of awards for best first-time director from this film. So it's, it's really worth hunting down, uh, particularly if you're remotely interested in the machinations of the global financial crisis and how what actually happened on the inside of these. <coughs> it's loosely based on Lehman Brothers' song. Uh, reliably informed by the internet. Matching as I go, so my number nine film of the year, and, I, and it was a toss-up actually, as far as Hollywood blockbusters go, between this and the excellent uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which I was really surprised by, which was a very good film, but I've booted it in the end for this one, which is X-Men First Class. Doesn't sound very appetising, um, but the X-Men films actually had, up until the third one, were very, very strong films. The third one was a, a bit of a waste of space and had a different director. And they've already rebooted it with Matthew Vaughan uh, directing it, who I think was the guy that did Layer Cake, uh, the British gangster flick with um, Daniel Craig in it. Um, I thought it was excellent. It's, it focuses on the formation of the whole X-Men and uh, where they're all teenagers. So it's got the same sort of cast as the later films, but all when they're a lot younger. And it has um, the uh, relationship between James McAvoy and the uh, new star Michael Fassbender, who's been excellent in quite a few films since Hunger came out, uh, probably about 2007, 2008, and uh, has turned in quite a few decent performances. But they're both very good as uh, Magneto and... Oh, the other guy's name escapes me, but the, the villainous and the hero... Uh, played by Patrick Stewart in the new ones uh, and they're, they're actually friends at the start and it shows how they're all sort of grouped together and recruited. Uh, the effects are fantastic. The characterization's much stronger than you'd expect. It's made with a great deal of intelligence uh, and the historical placing uh, of sort of the Second World War 
and onwards is actually works really well. It's a fascinating film for a Hollywood blockbuster, made with a, a hell of a lot more class than most Hollywood blockbusters do. Made 353 million at the box office. Uh, well worth checking out. And uh, people have also complimented the fact that the uh, denouement at the end with all the laser beams going off and explosions happening happens in broad daylight which is a rarity and it is pretty spectacular so x-men first class directed by matthew vaughan and starring james mcavoy michael fassbinder uh, as it's and rose byrne in it as well as well as oliver platt and kevin bacon who turns up absolutely everywhere um and well worth checking record of the year and uh, my number eight movie of the year, as I'm counting down top ten films and albums, oh, and also top five worst films, is The Hangover of the Year. Now, The Hangover seems to have uh, successfully rebooted the comedy movie. Um, I, th- I would go on records as saying comedies are the hardest films to make. Uh, they're really, really difficult to make a consistently funny comedy that works all the way through. Hollywood always pulls out the story halfway through where they involve sentimentality or character and ignore the comedy for the rest of the movie and they fall apart. And that's one of the reasons why The Hangover was so successful. It didn't. It just focused on the comedy pretty much all the way through and you can have the storyline in there if you want. Uh, A lot of people call Bridesmaids The Hangover of the Year. Uh, this is not true. Bridesmaids was the hangover part two of the year, and we'll be discussing Bridesmaids in a little while. But my best comedy of the year uh, was Horrible Bosses, which is a brilliant comedy. It's directed by Seth Gordon. Uh, it's got a cast of three guys that have problems with bosses and decide to take action a la Alfred Hitchcock's Stranger on a Train, uh, and that's Jason Bateman, who I've been watching on TV since the 80s when he was a child in sitcoms, and he now seems to have been reborn a bit. He's uh, rested development and uh, quite a few movies as well under his belt, so he seems to be a go-to guy at the moment. So it's him, Charlie Day, and Jason Sudeikis, who's probably the most acclaimed of the three, and their chemistry is excellent, and the humour's great throughout, but the reason it actually gets over the line as best comedy of the year are the supporting cast who are amazing jamie fox has the least interesting role as he's sort of like the guy they go to to try and uh, get to whack their bosses but the other three are the standouts of the movie kevin space is even better here than in margin call the role suits him as a tyrannical boss absolute scumbag of a boss he does brilliantly jennifer anson's superb as the uh uh, sexually inappropriate dentist boss of Jason Sudeikis and also uh, Colin Farrell who's unrecognisable as a sort of gimped up coke fiend son of a, of a wealthy industrialist and all three of them give absolute standouts Jamie Foxx is only barely in the movie but those three, Spacey Aniston and Colin Farrell are excellent it's got continually laugh out loud comedy all the way through it there's no story at all well, it, it sort of gets to the point of um, putting the premise out there about the three guys coming to try and whack their bosses as that will solve all their problems. And then the story just sort of stops. Nothing else really happens. But it doesn't need to because it's just continually funny all the way through. Uh, it's, a, it's quite near the market times with some of the humour as well. Um, of course, it's an adult comedy, um, but a very strong comedy. Uh, better than the other guys, which should have probably been my comedy of last year, um, but a very funny film, well worth watching, and much better than it's been made out. And definitely this year's Hangover, not Briar's Maze. And it's done well. It's done 209, uh, 209 million at the box office, 
which considering it's a reasonably low-key uh, movie, despite the cast, um, it certainly wasn't you know p- something pumped out with um, as having star power in the, in the main leads anyway. Um, so they've done very well, and I think the uh, I'll read a bit about it. It's a uh, it sat in development hell for a number of years. Uh, the script was written uh, as far ago as 2005. It was bought by New Line Cinema, and nothing really happened. It just sort of floated around. And in the end, Seth Gordon's come on and directed it uh, and had a whole heap of um, other uh, people associated with the movie until it got made. But it's actually uh, one of the highest-grossing black comedy films of all time in unadjusted dollars, breaking the record previously set by War of the Roses from 1990, which is pretty impressive. I would have said um, I wouldn't have said it was much blacker than uh, The Hangover was. Perhaps just the fact that the whole thing's about um, them killing their bosses makes it a black comedy. Um, some people felt the jokes were racist, homophobic and misogynistic. I certainly don't think these characters, any one of them, is being held aloft as a good or an honourable person. But that's my number eight movie of the year, Horrible Bosses, directed by Seth Gordon and starring Jason Bateman, Charlie Dace, Jason Sudeikis, but mainly Kevin Spacey, Jennifer Aniston and Colin Farrell, who are superb. In it, well, so my number seven film from a very interesting British director, Michael Winterbottom. And he's done a, such an array of movies. The first film that I remember him getting attention for was Welcome to Sarajevo, uh, which was a, a political film about uh, a journalist based, obviously, in the Bosnian conflict. And that was a pretty powerhouse film. But since then, he's gone all over the shop. He did uh, Nine Candles, which is a very sexually explicit and actual really explicit, as in not staged or simulated sex uh, movie. And then he's uh, made a television series called The Trip, now, it's one of two television series on the UK that have been made into films uh, that have just started on Australian TV. The other has been The Thick of It, uh, the brilliant show in the, th- uh, the Thick of It, which was made into the movie In the Loop. But they actually made a separate movie. They did a standalone film with a similar cast uh, and a similar sort of set of circumstances. Uh, the, the Trip, which is a series of, um, I think it was six half-hour episodes, was actually cobbled together into a movie. So they actually edited it down into one movie, 107-minute movie. Uh, And the the TV show itself actually won a BAFTA for Best uh, Sitcom uh, in the UK. That's the British uh, Film Television Awards. The whole film just stars, really, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Steve Coogan uh, used to be Alan Partridge on British TV and has since become quite a force in Hollywood at the moment. He's been, he was in The Other Guys last year, but he's been in quite a few different films. Uh, he always seems to pop up. I saw him in uh, Our Idiot Brother uh, very recently, which is a, a well worth catching that. It's quite an amiable comedy. Um, but it's him basically playing uh, an enlarged version of himself and travelling around the English countryside reviewing restaurants with Rob Brydon, who he gleefully admits at the start he's only invited because his girlfriend said no and he hasn't got anyone else he can ask. And uh, Steve Coogan plays the misery guts, and Rob Brydon, who I find incredibly annoying, he's one of these people that does impersonations non-stop, 
but he fits here so well with this misery gut Steve Coogan and they sort of riff off each other and some of the impressions are actually pretty stunning that they both do particularly when they're trying to out impression each other uh, and they basically spend the whole time having midlife crisis well Rob Bryden's a family guy he's got a lovely wife at home and a baby and he's very well centered and he's just taking the world as it comes Steve Coogan is a much more tortured soul he's estranged from his own child and he's got a a, a girlfriend that's in America who's he's very worried is basically uh, just uh, she's far too young and pretty for him and she's going to go off to America and leave him behind not that that tempers his behavior on the road which isn't it's isn't very honorable um but it's a very low-key it's a beautifully staged and uh, it's got a lot more depth to it than it sounds it's not a silly comedy it's got plenty of silly moments in it but it's more about Steve Coogan actually sort of coming to terms with the fact of who he is and how old he is and having this midlife crisis. Very enjoyable film. The TV series is starting this week in Australia, uh, which is um, two brilliant new shows on TV, and uh, probably both on the ABC. The Thick of It, which is a political satire, and this, The Trip. And it's quite surprising, the food in it as well. There's, they go to a number of very high... Well, they basically go to pub restaurants, but they go to Michelin star-rated pub restaurants. Uh, and the countryside as well, where it all sort of happens around the, the northeast of England, and it's beautiful countryside. Or is it the northwest of England? I lose track now. Oh, northern England, it just says here. Who cares? It's up north. No one cares. So that's my number seven film of the year. Uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon starring The Trip, which you can actually catch in its apparently superior elongated televisual format uh, from this week on abc i'd say actually my uh, while i'm just endlessly compiling lists there's only one tv show this year for me and it's one of my i've just been introduced to it a couple of months ago and i've watched all four series back to back the third series actually finished on normal tv here this week and that's breaking bad and it is a masterpiece one of the greatest shows of all time continual wow moments but and the end of this fourth series was um Pretty spectacular stuff, actually. It's pr- quite surprising. It's one of those moments where you just rewind immediately, going, no way! Um, so Brian Cranston's Breaking Bad, and that returns in July this uh, coming year, 2012, for the final ever series, the fifth series of Breaking Bad. So you've got plenty of time to get on board with that one, and that's definitely my number one TV show of the year. So about halfway stage, I'm going to go through my five worst films of the year but that will be after the next album and film and this is the rap entry and it's what there was two absolutely stunning rap albums or no thing actually uh my number six film of the year i was interested when i saw margaret pomerantz choose her top five of the year and include true grit um certainly a very good film but it's so long ago that it came out i think i actually saw it before the year change so I, I didn't include that one but another film that has gone completely off the radar perhaps because it was released in January and um, was a low budget film it took 600,000 at the box office and that's Ned's N-E-D-S and it's a film by Peter Mullen directed and I think written by yeah written by Peter Mullen Peter Mullen is one of my heroes of cinema at the moment he's the actor from My Name is Joe and he won the uh, Cannes Best Actor for that uh, many years ago for Ken Loach's film My Name is Joe about an alcoholic in Glasgow he's a brilliant actor he shows up all over the place he was in uh, Children of Men as the memorable 
um, extremely stern sergeant that drives Clive Owen around and eventually turns on them. And he's made some very, very good films, including the Magdalene Sisters, uh, which is highly acclaimed and probably his most acclaimed film. But Ned's is a return to where he started with My Name is Joe. It's a return to Glasgow. It's uh, set in the 1970s. It's very, very gritty. Um, it's also quite funny as well. And it follows a young lad who's very brainy at school, even though he comes from a, a very poor family with an uh, alcoholic father played by Peter Mullen, who's excellent as usual. And uh, I think the main guy is Connor McCarran, who hasn't been in a film as far as I know before. Uh, and he basically, the test results, he get, get him higher and higher up the ladder in school. Unfortunately, it all starts falling away when he becomes a youth thug. Um, and that's basically following his life as it spirals out of control. It's pretty bleak. It's also very funny. Uh, it's brilliantly acted. And apart from the odds, clunky bit here and there, it's an almost perfect movie. It's very powerful. Uh, and it's got a, a, virtually everything about it's done well. There's a couple of uh, sequences in it which are slightly too much. There's a hallucinatory scene with Jesus in it, which is almost works but doesn't quite work. Uh, and the denouement at the end is quite shattering, but it's a, it's a little bit full-on. Um, but a brilliant film, and he's always good. He's good behind the camera, good in front of the camera, and an excellent writer as well. Never got into movies until he was late on in life. Um, but he's done very, very well with Neds, N-E-D-S. Uh, and the story follows the main character's involvement with Ned Culture, which is basically delinquents in Scotland, what they call delinquents. I think it's no education uh, and something to do with being on the dole. And it won the best film at the San Sebastian Film Festival in January 2011. A very good film indeed, and one that seems to have been largely forgotten. So anyway, that was... Um, well, it's half-time, isn't it? So I'll um, go through my five worst films of the year. And I think, as we've got so much time, I'll play a track by The Field as well, as I I kind of uh, wanted to include that in my top ten albums, and I forgot. <laughs> I forgot, and it's one of my favourite artists who I've played to death for years. And I was just suddenly looking down, where is that brilliant album by The Field? So it would have to be my soundtrack to the worst movies of the year, which isn't what I wanted for it. So the reason I've chosen these films is because I don't... I mean, I go by reviews to watch movies, and there's so many out there now, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and IMDb, that aggregate together reviews, so it's really hard to come across a bad film. This year I've lucked out, and a number of films I've seen, uh, I think in my list of five, there's only two that actually got bad reviews. Three of them actually got good reviews. Two of them got outstanding universal acclaim, and I'm really, really struggling. So I think I'll do half the listening, come back afterwards. Uh, so my f- number five worst film of the year is Super 8. Uh, well-received J.J. Abrams film, uh, and it's a supernatural sort of thing. Uh, bunch. It's Stand By Me combined with E.T. Now, the stand-by-me half of the film is really quite good. It's done well, and it builds up. The second half of the film is E.T., and it's terrible. It sort of gets to the halfway stage, and you can feel Steven Spielberg, who's the executive producer, 
come in and just take over. And he turns everything to schmaltz. It almost goes down, boils down to this ET phone home stuff at the end. And I always hated ET as well. Um, and in no way is this comparably good film to ET. But um, I, not that I was a fan of that either. Um, but I was really disappointed. It has it had such a long and well thought out setup where you thought you were in for this evil monster to come and take on the world, and it was all sort of very uh, supernaturally set up and lots of uh, creaking noises and half seen monsters and stuff like that. And then it just becomes, oh, he's really a nice fluffy monster. Let's help him get home. And the second half of the movie is dire. Um, it's done very well at the box office. Uh, it's got very good reviews, but it's a sh- terrible film super eight my number five worst film of the year i might as well do them all in a row while i'm here number four the green hornet comic book adaptions have got the best run i think of anything i've ever heard of there's so many really strong superhero or comic book films over the last decade and uh, the bad ones stick out by a mile and it must be something to do with the word green as the green lantern was an absolute howler but the green hornet was terrible and one thing all these films have in common and why I've chosen them is they all made me angry while I was watching them. It wasn't sort of in the background, now. this isn't very good, like you're watching Fast and the Furious or something like that. Not that the latest Fast and the Furious was excellent, by the way. Um, but the this is really, really nothing happens at all. And I'm no fan of Seth Rogen, even though I mentioned him at the uh, with, as the director of Horrible Bosses and he's been in some brilliant comedies... I don't find him, um, he's always the second best person on screen in just about every film I've seen him in. He's an amiable character normally. This film subverts that on his head. He has to be a really annoyingly needy, pushy character in this, which is like turning the volume up on him a hundred times, and it doesn't work. It's really, really poorly made film. It's got beautiful production design, but the actual story doesn't really happen at all. Nothing really happens throughout the whole film. And it's got um, a brilliant film director called Michael Gondry at the helm, but he was only wheeled in at the very last moment as the other guy pulled out. Um, I'd just seen if it had the uh, person who was actually responsible for it. It's um, Jay Chu and Seth Rogen page two, well... He's a Seth Rogen's a rich kid who basically falls into being a superhero in, in order to justify his life. He's torturous while he's on screen. He's really pushy. He's in your face all the time, which doesn't suit Seth Rogen, who's normally such a laid-back comic actor, uh, to be this abrasively annoying. And I just was surprised when I got sort of to the last quarter of the movie thinking it's just never really taken off with the story. It just sort of is them bumbling around and is this good enough? And you can tell by how short it is, 108 minutes, which is, is pretty short for a movie these days. So that's my number four worst film, The Green Hornet. Number three is the film that everyone is calling the hangover of the year. Hangover in the wrong way, Bridesmaids, is terrible. Do not believe the hype. The film that is the hangover of the year is, of course, the one I mentioned, Horrible Bosses. Bridesmaids is, is supposed to be a chick version of The Hangover. It isn't. For the first sort of 30 or 40 minutes, it's got great comedy, and it is exactly what everyone said it would be. But it's actually got another hour and a half of a chick flick, a particularly bad chick flick, to go with virtually none of the laughs 
of the previous film and the whole thing just suddenly becomes my best friend's getting married I can't get a boyfriend and it's torture and I was begging it actually begging it out loud to stop so how this is done so well with everyone when it is just really a really bog standard boring incredibly boring rom-com or chick flick actually wouldn't call it a romantic comedy as it's it's just really a chick flick it's not particularly funny after the halfway stage um, I don't think that the cast is that entertaining. Uh, I think the lead woman, is it Kristen Wiig? Um, or is it Annie Malone? I'm just having a look down. No, it's Chris. Oh, written by Kristen Wiig. Uh, and I'm just looking for who the main star. She's really, really good. Um, and she does well throughout. Um, but a lot of the side characters are so obvious. And um, I think the Rose uh, Byrne one as well is just such an obvious idiot character and they're sort of making out that she's you know oh how dare she say these things but it's really when it tries to be gross out it just is gross and i'm not a big fan of gross out comedies but this sort of shoehorns in when there's soppy stuff going on on the side Uh, and i found this film torture i really really did so that's my number three worst film of the year bridesmaids number two a film that i just can't comprehend I don't understand how this film has universal acclaim. And it's Attack the Block, and it's just coming out in Australia now. And it's a British film, universal acclaim, it's getting it everywhere, getting great reviews, and it's by the people that made Shaun of the Dead and uh, Hot Fuzz. Um, but if you took those films and you took away an engaging cast and repla- with quirky characters who you liked and replace those with a lot of sullen 18-year-old scumbags who have no personality and are completely interchangeable, it doesn't improve things. If you took all of the great jokes out of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and replaced that with barely smile-raising comedy, and then you took the gross-out effects, which was so prominent in those films and really made you sort of sit back and go, oh, my God, I can't believe they just showed that and replace the the aliens in this are the most boring creatures I've seen in a modern science fiction film. It's supposed to be like a sci-fi comedy with an urban setting, and that's been quite a big thing now to set films in England in tower blocks with street youths. Um, but this is torturously boring. It doesn't have any redeeming feature. Even the um, shoe-in posh girl that always seems to turn up and is the one that sort of gets robbed by the kids at the start and then forms an alliance with them is incredible. So bland, I can't even uh, remember what her name was. It was directed by Joe Cornish. <coughs> uh, Jodie Whittaker is the uh, the lead female. The guy, the guys that ride around on BMXs and, and rob people and do pretty horrible things actually throughout the course of the movie are so they're like um skins that show skins just these really personality free charisma free people and you spend the whole movie with them and then when the monsters start appearing you're going is that it they're not even scary monsters they're just sort of vague special effects um attack the block a terrible film that's getting great reviews and my second worst film of the year and my number one worst film of the year no drum roll required is a film that actually got bad reviews, but I'm including it because I can't remember thinking any other film was this awful, and that's The Killer Elite. Now, I wouldn't have sat through this based on the reviews it was getting, but for the fact I love Jason Statham hardboard thrillers, uh, and we got one this year which was the... Oh, I can't remember what it was called, The Machinist? or the. So it was based on the Charles Bronson film uh, about a hitman. And that got pretty lukewarm reviews. Well, let me tell you, that was The Godfather compared to this. I actually really enjoyed that film. And this one has uh, Jason Statham, Clive Owen and Robert De Niro in it. 
and you would think it was impossible to make a hard-boiled thriller starring Jason Statham, adding Clive Owen and Robert De Niro, and ending up with something so bad, something that's worse than The Transporter, that's worse than The Transporter 2. It's, it's got the worst script, script of the year. I constantly found myself commenting in my head on how bad the lines were that they were delivering. The performances by everyone apart from De Niro, who's just bizarrely good in it, is terrible. And Clive Owen is uh, very hit and miss, I find. I love watching him in movies, but he's very hit and miss. Sometimes he gives a great performance, and other times, he's like here, he's really cringeworthy. And it's um, all international uh, espionage and hitmen and Middle East, and it's like Syriana made by idiots. And the scenes in the Middle East where they have like some high-powered sheikh and his son... And uh, that you know everything's supposed to be convoluted behind the scenes is um, actually quite embarrassing to watch. They're so inept. You're just thinking, God, no, really. Um, and it tries to have a convoluted plot. Now, one of the worst problems with the script isn't just that the lines they give are so bad, but it isn't capable of conveying what's happening in the movie. It's too convoluted, and it tries to get that across but you don't understand what's going on and worse still you don't care so you basically sit through half the movie sort of waiting for it to finish um and it did make me angry on a few times when i was just thinking i can't believe how bad this film is so that's my number one worst film of the year the killer elite which is directed by gavin mckendry and astonishing starring jason Statham, clive owen and robert de niro yet is terrible is is not even for somebody that likes swearing and guns and action and violence and everything else that you shouldn't in a movie. Um, this is still unwatchably awful. So my number one worst film of the year, The Killer Elite, which is itself also a, a, a based on a, a, what some people have called Sam Peckinpah's worst film. Although I enjoyed Sam Peckinpah's Killer Elite, not that they were particularly relatable films, one by the Fleet Foxes. About now. This is my number five film, and this is a film that I thought was actually a little bit overrated when I first saw it. But now I've seen it twice, I definitely don't think so. It's definitely one of the best films of the year, and it's The Guard, which has become the highest grossing independent Irish film of all time, making about 17 million US dollars. Uh, and it stars Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle. And Brendan Gleeson, who was magnificent in, um, in Bruges a few years ago and this is very much a collision between in bruges and what was the other film someone said it was it was half in bruges and half something else but that's it's it's the same kind of black comedy as in bruges um but it's got sort of a small town police angle is set in ireland and they're dealing with uh, international drug dealers uh, trying to bring in several hundred million dollars worth of cocaine and they actually um form this alliance and it all sounds very cheesy and done a million times before uh, Firefox, I don't even know what that means, David. Um, it's uh, directed by John Michael Madonna. It's got really good music, very good cinematography, which I was quite surprised about, um, as it doesn't seem necessary in the film. And uh, Brendan Gleeson is just magnificent, as uh, particularly cantankerous and uh, actually very, very acidly funny uh, policeman who's got a lot more going on behind the scenes then uh, Don Cheadle, his character, the uh, who comes in as like a, a special agent from America tracking uh, the drugs, um, as he says to Brendan Gleeson at one point, I can't work out if you're a complete idiot or really, really smart. Uh, and that kind of is his character. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a much, much smarter character than he lets on. 
Uh, a great film, great story. Goes a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit off the rails with the with the denouement and the guns going off and everything, but it's done plenty by that point. And um, the the guys that are the drug dealers in it are very good as well. I, can't, I think one of them is Mark Strong. He's really carving out uh, some excellent performances. Um, and uh, Larry Smith's the guy that shot it. And it's won a number of, um, I think it's been up for a number of awards. But it says, yeah, the most successful Irish independent film overtaking The Wind Shakes the Barley. And it's starring Brendan Gleeson, Don Cheadle, my number five film. And so I can get on the right side of uh, the remaining songs. Uh, my number four film, I say this quite a few times, every year it seems Australia will make one well-beating film and they're always very edgy and original and interesting like Samson and Delilah and The Prophecy and of course last year Animal Kingdom and this year a film not dissimilar from Animal Kingdom though it is a far starker, it, amazingly it's a darker, starker film Possessed by even uh, populated by even more reprehensible characters than Animal Kingdom, it's incredibly done. It's it's already become uh, lauded as one of the great serial killer films. It's of course based on the real life Snowtown murders from the 1990s, uh, and the um, that caused a fair amount of uh, controversy that they're focusing on um, murders that actually happened. Uh, it came out earlier in the year at Cairns and got a, a great deal of attention there, particularly from Richard Wilkins, who I regard as the lowest form of critic in Australia, uh, who gave it no stars and said it was a terrible film. It is extraordinarily hard work, by far the hardest work, and this list of my top ten films contains another couple of films that are very hard work, but nothing like Snowtown. It's the kind of film you warn people about, it's um, it's not that the violence is comparable to Saw or the likes, but the characters that populate this film are a grim bunch on the margins of society, uh, and it basically follows um, the uh, f- famous uh, serial killer. Uh, I was just looking for his name. Is it John Bunting? I think it's John Bunting, um, who's this charismatic guy that comes into this uh, very, very white trash area of uh, family life and sort of... Uh, becomes their saviour and also the person that takes them into the darkest possible area of human life. And basically, as a serial killer, all he did was accuse everyone of being gay or a pedophile, and then he would those people would end up disappearing. And this went on for years, and virtually all the time he, he had just decided that this person had to go. Um, and there doesn't seem to have been a great deal more motivation for his actions than that. He's currently serving time, I think, for 11 murders or maybe more than that. Um, it's a brilliantly shot film. It's stark. It's uh, it's confronting from the off, which shows um, the family that are involved in a, a pedophile across the street in some of the most uncomfortable scenes I think I've seen in an Australian film. And it's not comparable to Wolf Creek in any way. Wolf Creek is a film I don't think was a very good film but had an amazing protagonist um, and got better as the film went on. But I don't think it was a particularly good film. I thought it was a bit more of a... uh, Well, outside of the artistic triumphs of of some of the Aussie films that have happened, a bit more of an ordinary uh, serial killer movie. This one is as realist as it could be. Um, The scene in it with the bathtub... Uh, if you've seen the movie, you'll know what scene I mean. Is probably the most upsetting fil- uh, scene I've seen on any film this year. And I've seen some pretty bad f- upsetting films this year. 
uh, like a Serbian film uh, and, and other films that aren't even allowed to be shown in Australia. Uh, but there's a sequence in the bathtub uh, which is as confronting and upsetting a, f- a scene as I've ever seen in a main, uh, like a film that's on general release. Uh, and it's not gratuitous because it is showing exactly how one of the other characters becomes lured into partaking in the murders. And he kind of gets like a gang of them all going. Um, it's it's not an easy film to watch. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, but it is a brilliant film and undoubtedly one of the best. It's directed by Justin Kurzel and uh, it stars... Uh, Daniel Henshaw as the lead guy. I, I think the guy's name is James Bunting, John Bunting, but I can't actually remember off the top of my head. Lucas Pitaway and Louise Harris, and uh, it's a it's a brilliant film, and uh, it's, it's it's a difficult subject to have done as good justice to it as, as they have done with this. Nothing's really explained away. It's just kind of shown, and it's the mundanity and the prosaic nature of the evil in the film that's the most upsetting thing. So that's my number four film of the year, Snowtown. So there's an Aussie film and an Aussie album. We had the Africa High Tech album in the top list. My number three film of the year is Drive. I loved this movie so much. Uh, It's all of the top three films of mine are polarising, and not everyone loved Drive. Uh, a lot of people sort of stared straight through it and thought it was a very empty, superficial film. I loved it. There was little wrong. There was It was flawed, and uh, there were times when the narrative sort of could have been a little more tightened. But I loved the um, the low-key nature of it, the fact that everything was was meaningful glances and, and like the relationship between the star of the film, Ryan Gosling, um, and it also got um, it's got Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad in as well, which is wonderful. But him and the um, the love interest in the film, it's just such a platonic relationship. Nothing really happens. He's a he's a driver. Uh, he works in Hollywood movies, and at night time he moonlights as a getaway driver. And the whole thing is a, a homage to the film The Driver with Ryan O'Neill from the 1970s, which is a slightly better film, I must say. But as soon as this film starts, you get one of the most breathtaking car chases in cinema and it's all done with uh, very few k on the uh, speedometer as he sort of cat and mouses around la with um, helicopters and stuff chasing him and he's watching listening to the whole thing on the radio and pulling up very slowly and parking behind cars and waiting his time and it's a great sequence and the music in the film it was my soundtrack album of the year the music the look of the film the acting in it's very strong, particularly Ryan Gosling, and already winning awards is Albert Brooks, who's the main protagonist, who's a gangster in it. Um, and it's also got Christina Hendricks from Mad Men, Brian Cranston from Bad, uh, Breaking Bad, and Ron Perlman, who's also excellent as a Jewish gangster. And that leads me on to the funniest part of the film, which is that they're being sued in America by a lady. Um, if you've seen the trailer for the uh, for Drive... It does make it out to be a cheesy Fast and Furious movie. I was quite astonished, which is the exact opposite. And she's complained there's no car chases, which there really isn't. There's only a couple in the whole film. And it's not really about driving. And it's this thoughtful, almost existential, low-key film. Uh, And she's suing them for misrepresentation. And she just threw in a bit about it being anti-Semitic because Ron Perlman's character is Jewish. Well, there's Russian gangsters, there's Italian gangsters, and uh, the main guy is an American who gets up to some pretty bad stuff as well. 
It's got um, some humour shoehorned in there when it's unexpected, and it's got some really weird ultraviolence that comes from nowhere, and it's really violent. Only a couple of times throughout the movie, but I was just sort of taken aback. Um, in a good way, I thought. Um, it's done well in the box office now. It's done about 70 million around the world. And um, I think it's um, I think he picked up a, a directing award at the Cannes Film Festival where it premiered. Um, be interesting to see how award ceremonies go for it. It's a very stylized film uh, and not one that's that easy to reward. But the director Nicholas Winding Refn has done an amazing job. And really, really, as far as um, ordinary films go, that would be my number one film of the year. But it's number three on my list. Throughout there, um, my number two film of the year is Melancholia and I said uh, The Drive was a, a film that divided audiences into those that worshipped it and those that couldn't see anything there at all. Melancholia was, wasn't a film people were um, either partial or impartial to. They absolutely loathed it or loved it. I loved it. It was one of two astonishingly ambitious movies released this year. I wonder what both directors thought that they would both come up with these uh, very different but broadly very similar ultra-ambitious films trying to tie the human condition to global or cosmic forces. Uh, Melancholia was basically a study of depression and it uses uh, the grandest metaphor possible, the impending annihilation of the Earth uh, by a planet called Melancholia. Uh, And it starts with the wedding of uh, Kirsten Dunst Um, that falls apart rather badly and then they spend the rest of the movie watching this film her uh, Kristen Dunst uh, Kiefer Sutherland and also um, one of my favorite actresses Charlotte Gainsbourg who was in the last Lars von Trier movie Antichrist which was a very I thought that was a brilliant but very flawed and very confronting film and very nearly impossible to watch um, this time around he's done his, probably his fluffiest, nicest film and that's not saying it's fluffy or nice but there aren't the elements in previous Lars von Trier movies like The Idiots um, uh, that are really confronting and turn off a lot of people um, and the same happened in Antichrist where a few scenes of violence which was so extreme that they um, turn people off the whole movie uh, and the fact that they he he's undoubtedly one of the most talented directors working today and I don't want to see him change but it is really refreshing to see him sort of rein everything in and make um, a movie that doesn't exist to shock like sometimes it feels watching his films uh, and it's a very deep, very profound, lyrical, beautiful film uh, and it uh, it focuses on Kristen Dunst and her relationship with her sister and her relationship with depression and um, just basically the last days. Uh, and it's a very powerful... Some of the it's, It didn't cost a lot of money to make. A budget, um, I think, was well under... Well, I think it might have been around 10 million euros or something like that. Um, but it looks so beautiful. Some of the cinematography in it... it I, you know... Um, at the movies or whatever the, uh, the the show on with Margaret Pomerantz and uh, the miserable old guy with the beard, we'll call him, who I've really lost all respect for. He's got such terrible taste in films. He always picks really strange choices and dismisses films out of hand for having things like shaky cam or whatever. And he dismisses his film out of hand for the sh- uh, shaky camera work which does not do this film justice. It's got absolutely astonishing cinematography. It's got so many stunning images, which will always stay with me. 
Um, and the, the most startling uh, thing about the movie was I'd never, ever rated Kristen Dunst as an actress. She's never been anywhere approaching this good. I picked her out when this film came out as a, a shoe-in for Best Actress. She'll get a nomination, but it's looking like Meryl Streep and The Iron Lady are going to be really, really difficult to beat. Uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg might also get a nod for Best Supporting Actress, as so she's fantastic as well. Um, it's flawed, sure it's flawed, but why are you allowed to make a flawed comedy that's not a very good film but it's got lots of laughs in it and that's a great comedy? Or you're allowed to make a flawed action movie with a terrible script and, and that still gets rated as a really good film. But you make some, you know, try and make an existential masterpiece. Unless it's 100% perfect, they get, some people will always rubbish it. Yes, it's got flaws in it. Some things work, some things don't. But when it's reaching, it's reaching so much higher than just about any other film this year. I was absolutely blown away. I've seen it a couple of times. I was very deeply moved by it. Uh, and I think it's Lars von Trier's best film. Um, he's the director of Breaking the Ways, was, I think, the film that I liked the most of his before this, and Dancer in the Dark, which is highly controversial, and The Idiots, which is very controversial, and Antichrist, which is one of the most controversial films of the modern era. And this one isn't. It's really refreshing to see him make such an adult film that touches on such grand themes in such an, uh, an amazing setting, and some of the sequences will stay with you forever. It's got... Uh, a hallucinatory sort of first half hour which uh, embeds this whole planet collision thing that's one of the most stunning sequences of the year and uh, and i really did like this film my number two film of the year melancholia it's gone. a couple of minutes talking about my number one film of the year it was a toss-up until last night which one of the two grandly ambitious movies would top my list i love them both and uh, they're both flawed they both reach higher than any other movie has tried this year and they both embrace themes of universe versus um, the smallness of human existence and sort of well, the way I felt watching both of them was that they were sort of relating um, you know, the, the largest event in the uni- events possible in the universe as being comparable in size with the smallest human emotions. And everything I've just said about Melancholia, my number two film, I could say about this, my number one, The Tree of Life by Terence Malick, another very divisive film, another film that's got a very long sequence of um, cosmicness, the same as uh, Melancholia opens with, you know, 25 minutes of uh, cosmic stuff happening. Tree of Life has got a very strange sequence that happens about a quarter of the way in and lasts for about half an hour which follows the origins of planets combining and gases forming into planets and eventually life on earth being created and it's just mind-blowing but most of the movie follows a very prosaic Brad Pitt family as he just basically gets ruder and ruder to his own son and it follows a very good... Sean Penn's complained that the screenplay is the best he's ever seen and he wished that, that Terence Malick had taken all of the other stuff out of the movie. Uh, I thought it was a beautiful, hypnotic and incredibly rewarding film. It's slow, it's laborious at times, but its rewards are greater and distinct to any other film I've seen this year, bar Melancholia. And it's my number one film of the year, uh, starring Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain and uh, Sean Penn. Um, but it's the, um, the young uh, Sean Penn in the film, whose uh, name isn't even on this list. It's uh, one of the actors of the year for me. He does a great, great film. Uh, won the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, possibly beating Melancholia. Uh, Tree of Life, my number one film of the year. 